certainly strongly suggest it be useful to keep that passage open in front of you as I work my way through that uh, for the next few minutes. But before I speak, let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us please to clearly hear your voice through these words written by the Apostle Paul. Please help us through the Holy Spirit to understand and respond to your word. Give us hearts that are open wide to receive your message to us. Amen. They are a constant danger. They are a constant danger. Whilst I often enjoy my 20-minute walk to and from work, I do so at my peril. Now, you might think I'm about to mention the danger of crossing roads with uh, drivers who often neglect to indicate as they turn. So you see no flashing light, you step into the road, you presume it's safe, and suddenly they turn and you have to panic and step back. And then there's the danger of those lovely school kids who walk like zombies, don't they? They walk like zombies, their eyes fixed on their mobile phones. So rather than looking out for anyone who might be walking straight towards them, they just move on forward, oblivious to the danger of a collision. However, my real problems, my real problems on my walk to and from work are the uneven pavement slabs. You see, I'm a little bit clumsy. I'm forever kicking them, stumbling in my stride. They are a constant danger to me. Now, I have considered suing Bexley Council once or twice. I would do so for the cost of a new pair of shoes or perhaps uh, certainly claim the costs of uh, the repairs to my shoes. But I guess in reality, it is really all my own fault for not lifting my feet high enough as I walk. Now, Adam's been very good with visual aids, so I've brought a visual aid today. Here is one of my newly repaired shoes done by Mr. Mizzen down in the high street. And it's that front bit which is the problem. Because when you hit a pavement slab, it starts to break it. And the shoes don't look very good and they have to be repaired. Anyhow, there's my visual aid. You'll see that later as well, I think. Now, did you notice, did you notice, if you've got the passage open in front of you, in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul speaks of the dangers of stumbling blocks stumbling blocks but he doesn't speak here of wonky pavement slabs the apostle paul is more concerned by the dangers of any stumbling block which might prevent someone walking the way of christ he speaks of anything or anyone that may hinder or impede the christian as they walk that narrow way and paul wants nothing or nobody to cause the Christian to stop moving forward, or worse still, to fall over. And in verse 3, Paul is saying he, he himself, never laid any dodgy, wonky pavement slabs. Paul put no stumbling blocks or hindrances in anyone's path when he preached. Instead, he made every effort to ensure the path was clear to those who listened and responded to the gospel message he preached. He also demonstrated whilst he was with them that he 
walked the talk. He lived the authentic Christian life when he was among the early church in Corinth. He wanted no one to stumble, no single person to fall as a result of anything Paul said or did whilst he was with them. Now we have to remember, if we've, if we've been here for the last few weeks through this series, uh, in context, Paul has written to this church in Corinth at a time when false teachers are disrupting this church. And there was a real danger the church will go off in all sorts of different directions if they neglect this authentic gospel. So Paul writes now to plead with them, to plead with them. And here's my, my, my first main point today. Endure with the authentic gospel. Endure with the authentic gospel. It's worth it. Paul wants them to stick to the true gospel, to stay to this authentic Christian message which he had brought to them when he first founded the church. The danger came when the church started to listen to these new people who had arrived, smart-looking preachers who had nice ties, who had risen to prominence within the church, these new self-confident, slick preachers who had all tried to discredit Paul. But Paul's ministry was the real deal, and Paul's ministry should not be discredited. These new preachers had argued that Paul was no longer reliable, that the church should now listen to them because what they preached was good and nice, but their message was deceptive. And Paul knew the danger that whilst the, Christian, uh, the Corinthian church he had planted, a church that had been firmly founded on God's message of grace, it could all end up being in vain. It could be for nothing if the church now took on board the heresies they were listening to. And so Paul writes in verses 4 to 10 of his own experiences of, Christi of the gospel ministry to urge them to live the authentic Christian life, a life that follows the demands of the gospel. Paul tells them that the real, authentic Christian life is complex and it's full of many challenges. It's not as easy as some might wish it was. These false teachers might claim, come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved forever. These false teachers might claim, come to Jesus and your bank balance will, will double in a year. And you know, we still have these types of claims being made today. Well, yes, these things could come true if you turn to Christ. But I don't see them promised within the authentic gospel message. And most Christians cannot claim a prosperous and perfect life as their real experience. Instead, most would say that following Christ is hard and costly. And that is exactly what Jesus said it would be. Jesus said our experiences would be for his followers that they would need to deny self and take up your cross. And let's look through verses 4 and 10 of Paul's own personal experiences. And verses 4 to 10 are actually all one sentence. 
So if we were to read them correctly, you take a deep breath at the beginning and you don't breathe again until you get to the end. But I suspect if we try that, we'll probably all pass out. So let me just read to them, read those verses for you again as best as I possibly can without passing out. Rather, as servants of God, we command ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonour, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. Well, there's a lot here in that one single sentence. These verses are certainly emotionally charged, as Paul tells of an authentic Christian Christianity, which consists of troubles, hardships, distress in verse 4. He speaks of beatings and of being imprisoned in verse 5, of being caught up in riots. All of these things he endured, all of these things he went through with hard work because he always acted as a good and faithful servant of God. All this hard work with sleepless nights through hunger. And if we had time, we should go through Paul's missionary journeys as recorded in the book of Acts and you would find the examples which match all the things he's writing about here in these verses. Paul offers no material prosperity here in these verses. Instead, Paul pleads for a Christianity that makes sacrifices, that endures adversity, and will be unpopular as it demands a total commitment to Christ. And it's a commitment full of integrity, isn't it, according to verses 6 and 7. Paul is saying to his critics, examine my life and you will find God's presence in all that I do. Well, have you, have you written a CV recently uh, or do you remember the last time you, you applied for, for a new job? When we do so, we write about qualifications. We write about our achievements and perhaps hobbies or interests. We, we hope someone reading our CV will then be impressed and offer us a job. And you could suggest that these verses are, in a way, are Paul telling his own CV, his own experience. And what Paul says is that as a Christian, you should expect suffering and hardship along the path. But through the Holy Spirit and with the weapons of righteousness in our hands, in our right and in our left, which God provides, with the power of God, we will still and can endure to the end. Well, what is Paul's perspective on his experiences? Did you notice the contrast which you can see there in verses 8 to 10? 
He writes in verses 8 to 10, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. With authentic Christianity, in the sight of God, we do have it all. The world might think we have nothing, but actually with God we possess everything. In Jesus, we have everything we actually need now and forever. Paul's message, his, his preaching, his appearance may not seem to be powerful. His critics tried to discredit him but his life was testimony to an authentic message he was the real deal so stay on board Corinth endure to the end on your path don't stumble as you go along it is worth it with Jesus you possess everything that's a great promise we have from these verses which do speak of hardship along the way well, today, let me ask you, do you have the same willingness of Paul to be totally committed to Jesus? Do you have a, a commitment to endure through whatever is thrown at you? Do you have the guts? Being a Christian might cost you your comfort. It might cost you your health. It might cost you your bank balance. But will you keep going? Now that pathway will be longer than the 20 minutes I have each way to my work. It will be uneven. There will be wonky paving slabs ready and waiting for your feet. But in the end, it will be worthwhile. There will be rejoicing in heaven as you endure. There will be riches in eternity with Jesus, where the Christian, the faithful follower of Jesus, will possess everything that is truly important. Keep going, brothers and sisters, to the end. Endure with the authentic gospel. It is worth it. And secondly, from verses 11 through to uh, 13, open wide your hearts. Open wide your hearts. Well, it really has been a passionate plea from Paul in these verses so far. And now in verses 11 to 13, he calls upon them to open wide their hearts, not to withhold their love in any way as they lived their Christian lives. When Paul was with them, this is how he had spoken to them according to verses 11 and 12, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and open wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our, effect, our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. Paul cares deeply, deeply for this church. This church was his baby, and every parent will tell you that raising children is never easy. It requires real love and perseverance. So church in Corinth 
How can you possibly believe the slander and criticism about me? How can you allow your hearts to wander away, to grow cold, to, to shut them off from me? Come back. Verse 13. Open wide your hearts also. Make, make room in your hearts for us. Paul says, I'm, I'm speaking to you as my children. Do your old man a favor. Repay all the favors I have done for you. Well, today, have we shut our hearts in any way? To whom do we need, perhaps, to open up our hearts and share the Christian love? Perhaps that's someone within your immediate family. Perhaps that's someone at your workplace. Perhaps that's even someone here in church this morning. Perhaps you feel you've, you've, you've been wronged and you're struggling to forgive them. Well, none of us are perfect. But we do need to be more like Paul, who spills out his love towards this church. Perhaps it is with God himself that you've shut your heart. So perhaps it is with God that you need to return to him, to open your heart in the same way that God has poured out his love for us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, the Lord Jesus, who died on the cross to pay the penalty that our sins deserve. God did this out of love, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And God wants us to turn back to him, to open our hearts to him, to let him in, to love him back. Well, today we are being called, aren't we? First, endure with the authentic gospel. Secondly, to open wide our hearts also. And then that moves on to my third point from those last verses. Perfect holiness. Perfect holiness out of reverence to God. That's 7 verse 1. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Well, examples of how we are to be holy, how we are to be set apart from God, to be different to the world, well, they come in verses 14 to the end of chapter 6, where Paul, Paul writes words, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them, and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. To be different to the world around us means to stop flirting with the world. 
to stop acting as they were doing. Our allegiances and our alliances as Christians need to be with God, not with the world that does not acknowledge him. And so that first example in verse uh, 14, do not be yoked together with an unbeliever. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Now these are difficult words for many to hear. And many uh, words have been spoken over the years about, about this verse. So we do need to understand it in the context as we listen to them. The picture here comes from the Old Testament. It comes from an Old Testament commandment not to plough a field with an ox and a donkey tied together. Why? Well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Because they're two different animals, two different creatures. They cannot work well together. The point being made here is that God wants purity for his people. He does not want us contaminated by pagan neighbours, by this pagan and secular world in which we live. Now, it's important here to stress what Paul is not saying. He's not suggesting we all run away. We all run and, and uh, run away from this world. We become monks or whatever. Because if we run away and hide, then how do we witness to the world? And think about the example of Jesus. Jesus did not isolate himself from sinners and tax collectors. He left heaven. He came down into this world. He met with sinful people. He went, he ate with them. But Jesus still remained true to God. Jesus did not allow himself to be tainted and influenced, corrupted by the sinners he met. So when it comes to the example of marriage, the Bible does not tell the Christian to marry Sue rather than Jane or whoever. The Bible simply says that as a Christian, you should seek to marry a fellow believer. And here we must, of course, be sensitive, and I do hope I'm being sensitive this morning, because, praise the Lord, there have been examples of when a non-believer marries a believer, and that non-believer comes to faith. Praise the Lord that there are those examples. But on the flip side, there are far too many examples when the Christian in that relationship, their faith fades away as they drift away from the Lord because they're influenced too much by the non-believing spouse. And then the question has to be asked, doesn't it, about what happens to a relationship when one person within that married couple becomes a Christian after they've been married? Should they leave that non-believing partner? Well, no, that's not what Paul is saying. And what does this verse speak about for a business relationship, perhaps, or working for a company that perhaps does not follow ethical pursuits for the Christian that might mean you have to decide not to accept a promotion or into a partnership an actual formal partnership with that uh, company because it could conflict with your faith and certainly in everything the boss asks us to do when we're at work we have to say what would Jesus do we are in the world but we're not meant to be of the world not allowing it to influence us instead our aim as Christians should be to influence the world with the gospel well these instructions from Paul are to avoid situations where your own behavior will be influenced by another 
that you lose sight of who you truly are, a follower of the Lord Jesus. Well, in the 21st century, this, this, this uh, verse may appear too hardcore for some within the church. And perhaps that's because we've already listened too much to this, dare I call it, a woke and politically correct world around us and we try not to offend anyone. Well, Paul says we need to live as children of the light, to come out of the darkness and to be separate. So we do all need to think and pray of our own particular close relationships at home, at work, or, or anywhere else where we may go. Which people influence me most? Do the people I'm around help my Christian faith because in reality what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever yes we need to meet with people to witness to them but we must let, not let them contaminate our faith we are holy people we are people who must keep ourselves uncompromised by the world to witness to the world to be salt in this world well, let us remain pure is what Paul wants for us. And this is, this is still what God wants for his people today. Real, authentic Christianity is about willing to be different. It does not just endorse secular culture. Authentic Christianity challenges the culture around us. It demonstrates in what we say and in how we act that we are totally committed to our master. Well, God says to us today, endure with the authentic gospel. He says, open wide your hearts. He says, perfect holiness. It is worth it. The promises are there of an eternity with Jesus, possessing everything. Well, let us make that our aim this week, to prove to others that we are authentic followers of Jesus first and foremost let's aim to love the people of this world but above all to love our god out of reverence to him and because it is the appropriate response for all that god has done for us you might want to think of me during the week walking along the pavements am i going to stub my toe am i going to stumble in any way but more importantly are we going to be able to avoid the stumbling blocks there uh, which could be trying to derail us in our faith. Instead, let us keep going, endure, open wide our hearts, perfect holiness. Let's pray. Forgive us, Lord, when we do compromise our faith in any way, when we do shut our hearts to you. Instead, Lord, Help us to remain pure. Help us to perfect holiness. Help us to endure, to keep going to the end with our hearts open and totally responsive to you. Amen.